everyone. Welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, and today I'm chatting with Lisa Teen, a mom, wife, labor and delivery nurse from Raleigh, North Carolina, and the owner of Mommy Labor Nurse. Lisa has been a labor and delivery nurse for six years and currently works part-time weekends at her local hospital. She spends the rest of her time blogging and creating captivating Instagram content for her brand, Mommy Labor Nurse. She started her brand in February 2018 as a way to educate more moms in the online space about the birth process. After having such a fulfilling birth experience at her hospital two times now, she felt that she wanted to educate other moms in hopes that more women feel empowered and educated about their births instead of scared and anxious. She's always had a passion for educating women and thoroughly enjoys spreading knowledge and awareness about birth. Many expecting mothers that I've taught or worked with have expressed some sort of fear or anxiety when approaching their due date anticipating childbirth. While this is common, it still breaks our hearts because birth can be a beautiful experience no matter how you give birth. And the best way to reduce fear and anxiety is education. It's good to talk about what you can expect so the unknown becomes more familiar and less scary. This is why we are thrilled to have Lisa Teen, a labor and delivery nurse with us today to talk about what you may expect when you go to the hospital in labor. Let's welcome Lisa. Hi, Liesl. Thanks for chatting with me today on our podcast, Chick Chat. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Of course. If there's one absolute truth about childbirth, it's that labor and delivery are unpredictable. We can plan and prepare, but there's a good chance something unexpected might happen on baby's big day. And that's why it's a good idea to learn as much as we can about routine hospital procedures and typical birth scenarios so that our listeners can feel more prepared for their baby's big day. And knowing what to expect in a variety of different situations can help expecting families stay calm and cope with whatever comes their way. So this is why we are excited to have you here, Liesl, to walk us through what to expect. Yeah, no, happy to be here. I agreed with everything you just said. I'm all about, the, <laughs> I'm all about educating people. So <laughs> I love that. I love that. But before we begin, please tell us a little bit about yourself. We'd love to learn more. Yeah. So my name is Liesl Teen. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I am a labor and delivery nurse here, still currently practicing And I, let's see, it's been six and a half something odd years that I've been in labor and delivery, but most people know me from Mommy Labor Nurse. So I'm over at mommylabornurse.com, Mommy Labor Nurse on Instagram, and I have my own podcast as well. And we do a lot of education for new moms, expecting moms, first-time moms, second-time moms, people who are just had babies. I try to cover as much as I possibly can to prep them for labor, for birth, uh, for postpartum, for newborn stuff. So yeah, I my new thing is TikTok <laughs> that, I've been, <laughs> that I've been getting into is making like TikToks and reels and videos on there. So that's been kind of fun. But yeah, I just, I do a lot over there. I try to cover as much as I can in the most creative, fun way possible. So it resonates with people. So yeah, that's kind of my full-time job. And then on the on the weekends, uh, every other weekend, I'll work a hospital shift to still get my patient care and be, be with my patients, which is kind of cool. So yeah, that's me. And that's what I do. I also have a family. <laughs> that, <laughs> I was like, oh, oh yeah. Thank yeah. You. Oh yeah, them. <laughs> yeah. No, I also have two boys. I just had I just had a boy, my second boy in August. So he's he just turned five months old yesterday. So I'm also 
in it with everybody else. So, <laughs> so yeah, I have a little baby of my own. I was recently pregnant and then my older one is, he'll be four. Gosh, it's hard. It's, I can't believe I'm saying that, but he'll be four in February. And then, yeah, I have a husband too, who, you know, <laughs> he's there as well. <laughs> no, I love him. <laughs> oh, of course. Oh, that's so wonderful. And how cool. We are so grateful for all that you do for expecting a new moms. Uh, having that information is, is so, so helpful. And that's why I'm just, we're really excited to have you here. Cause like I was saying before, I feel like we're getting kind of like a peek behind the curtain of what to really expect at the hospital since you are doing it, you know, now on the weekends, but I'm sure before even more. So it's really exciting to chat and get all of that information from you. So thank you again. Yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah. No, before I had my first son, I, I worked, you know, full time. I was night shift before him. And then I came back after I had him, I was days kind of three quarter time and then part time. And now I'm just like part-time weekends. So, but yeah, I've been there for six, six and a half years. It'll be seven years this year. So yeah, definitely, definitely got a lot of, uh, hopeful, hopefully insider information that I can, that I can share on the process. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> and now I have to know, Liesl, do you ever have a mom in labor and be like, oh my gosh, I know you, you're mommy labor nurse. <laughs> that is so funny. Cause I just, I was, when we were talking before the episode, I have an episode coming out on Monday talking about labor and delivery nursing. And that was one of the questions that I went over, but yes, it, actually happened for the first time where it was like totally I I hadn't been in contact with her at all but I she was my patient and I walked into the room and she was like oh my gosh I know you from like mommy labor nurse I follow you and I was like <laughs> that's so cool but no generally I come in you know I don't work as much anymore I'm only part-time weekend so I only come into contact with like a handful of patients and I'm never coming there you know broadcasting myself, I guess. Oh, I'm course, just coming right. here to like, do my job. And if it so happens that it comes up, it comes up. But yeah, that was the first interaction where it was like, as soon as I came into the room, they were, she knew who I was. So that was, I kind, love that, that. was pretty that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's awesome. Oh, man. Okay. Well, Lisa, let's get started. So as a labor and delivery nurse and a mother, you know exactly what women will experience when they enter the doors of their hospital. So tell us what they can expect from the get-go when they get in their cars to drive to the hospital. Yeah. So I would say best tip, make sure you either do a hospital tour beforehand so you know kind of where the parking situation is or, you know, different parking decks or like where exactly you're going to come in so you're not nervous and trying to have contractions in the car and park the car and like where's, you know, my partner going to go and where do I drop stuff off. That's why I, I recommend doing a tour for that reason solely because you never know, you might come in really, really fast and, you know, time is of the essence. (laughs) So, so yeah, definitely do a tour, make sure you know beforehand kind of the check-in process and where everybody's going to go. With COVID happening, they, they kind of depends on the hospital. Nowadays they're doing them more so just you know, just not as many of them and just not with a large group of people, but they're still having tours. I have heard of some hospitals doing like virtual tours or just having very specific, like, this is the map. This is where you go. This is where you check in. So it's going to depend depend on your hospital. But that is definitely what I recommend is to pre-tour, like pre-figure out 
figure out the parking situation as best you can before you before the day of because that's going to just calm your nerves quite a bit. So yeah, so once you get there, it's going to kind of depend. Like I li- I work at a pretty big hospital, so there's a couple different areas that you can come in. If you come in through the emergency department, you come in through registration. We don't have some hospitals have a, a a very specific wing where you go. It's very easy. You park. Anybody who's expecting, they come in through this way, and it's a very easy process. But if you were if you go to a bigger hospital like mine, it might be a little bit more complicated. And also to say. If you come in in the middle of the night or after certain hours, there might be a different location that you have to go through. Like, for instance, at my hospital, if you come in past a certain time, I think it's 9 p.m. See, I don't work night shift anymore, so I don't know the exact time. But I think it's something around 9 p.m. If you are trying to come in, you have to go through the emergency department. And you will know that if you go past registration and they're closed, but it's helpful to know that you know, kind of before the day. Right, right. So just keep that in mind. Like I said, it's going to depend on what what kind of place that you that you deliver at. So that's parking. In terms of like dropping you off, I, you know, it's, I'm, I'll tell you what we did. We parked the car. It was a very short walk. You know, we parked the car in the parking lot and my husband and I just walked in together. He got a bag and we just walked in together. If you have a ton of stuff, I would say, you know, read the situation. So if you're coming in and it's like pretty immediate, just come in together. Don't worry about, you know, parking and dropping you off and then having, you know, your partner get all the bags and there's like all this stuff that they're trying to bring up, you always can go back down to your car and get stuff afterwards. So I would say just focus on getting in the building and then you can always go back out. So in terms of like checking in, so if you're going through the emergency department, a lot of times what they have to do is get like a set of vital signs on you, ask you some questions. Now with COVID stuff, they'll just be screening you for any symptoms. And it again, at my hospital, it's a different and it's going to be different everywhere with like COVID testing. But a lot of times they, in a lot of hospitals, they are doing like screening and they're doing like a rapid COVID test on all patients that are admitted just, you know, for safety for us. And you'd be surprised like how many of those dang things come back positive. And it's like, you don't have any symptoms, which is crazy to me, but that's side note. But anyways, be prepared for a possible COVID test and screening down kind of in the, kind of when you first check in. And then, yeah, it kind of depends. You might go then up to a different floor. Like at my hospital, that's what they do. They check you in at the emergency department and then they send you up to like our triage. It's like a labor and delivery kind of emergency department. And then we take care of you up there. But you have to go through like the regular emergency department first. But again, if you're at a certain hospital where it's like a maternity ward, you might not go through that that first process. It might just be like kind of a seamless, you know, 
process that way. Well, I was going to ask when you're talking about checking in, that brings me to my question that is there. So normally, like you said, yes, it's like checking in. Here's our driver's license, my name, my doctor, blah, blah, blah. What should, is there any like documents or anything at all besides like a driver's license that a laboring woman should bring with her when, when checking in? Yeah. So I would obviously bring your, your driver's license. I would bring a copy of, if you have insurance, I would bring your insurance card. Sometimes they, some hospitals, they do allow you to like pre-register in the, in advance. So that will be helpful too. Um, it just makes the process go a little bit quicker, but I would still bring your insurance card just in case you got a number wrong or somebody needs it for (laughs) some, some odd reason. You never know. So I would definitely bring those two things, insurance card and a copy of your license. And then if you have a birth plan, Plan, I recommend, you know, everybody look into at least at least having maybe not something written, but having it in your head. But if you have a written birth plan, that's something to bring uh, with you as well. That that they won't take in registration. That will be useful once you get up to labor and delivery with us that you can give us. But yeah, those are definitely three things that I recommend. Great. Yeah. And I usually tell people to bring two copies, like one for yes, the one nurses for you and, and then one, one for dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We can always make a copy too. If for some reason you forget the copy, oh, we, we got copy perfect. machines. Don't worry. There you go. See, I love this tip. That's great. Okay. So let's say, you know, I know some hospitals that I've attended, you check in and you're first going into triage before going into an L&D room. So when, when a, a laboring woman goes into triage, what are the steps that they can expect? Like what questions are asked? What, uh, what documents are these women signing and what vitals are being checked, et cetera? Yeah. So once you come up to us, you'll go into one of our rooms and kind of the first questions that I'm asking a patient are, are you feeling your baby move around? Are you having any bleeding? What, are you having any pain or your, you know, what time did your contraction start? Feeling any pressure? And are you having any leaking? Is your water broken. And that's just like a quick little screen. You know, if, if somebody comes in and I'm saying, are you bleeding? And they're saying, yes, I'm bleeding profusely from my vagina. Okay. Then we need to, you know, expedite the the process and check out what's going on like right now. Or if she says, I haven't felt my baby move in a while, then okay, we need to expedite the process, get the ultrasound machine in here and check what's going on. So those, those questions are just kind of like, I ask those immediately once somebody gets in to to assess the emergent situation, to assess the emergence, like whether it's an emergent situation or not. So once we, once I'm asking those questions, you're answering those, I say, okay, you know, if you want to, if you have a gown, you want to change into, you can change into your gown or here you go. Here's a hospital gown. Go ahead and take off your underwear because, you know, you might, we'll want to have a a cervical check if you're, if you consent to that. And usually I say, go ahead and go pee unless you feel like your baby's coming out of you right now. (laughs) Go ahead and go pee. And I usually collect a urine sample on on patients just because we might need that for some reason. So I say, here you go, you know, go pee in a cup and put this hospital gown on or put your own gown on or just stay in your clothes if you don't, if you want to stay in your clothes. And then once you get out of the bathroom, you'll come and lay down in the bed. And, you know, it kind of depends depends on the patient. Like some patients come in and they're huffing and puffing and I'm having to, you know, ask questions and put them on the monitor and do everything like 
like simultaneously. Yeah, 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 like fast. Some patients come in, they're like, my water broke a few hours ago. They're not in pain. Baby's moving around, but they're going to be there and they're going to be admitted. I'm, I know they're going to be admitted, but it's a little bit more relaxed. Right. <laughs> so yeah. So once you come in, we'll probably want to get you on the monitor for a little while just to check out baby and make sure baby's okay. I usually say expect to be on the monitor for at least 20 minutes just to make sure baby's doing okay in there. And then if, if, all, if all is good, I can take you off the monitor. Once you're on the monitor, then I would be getting like a a set of vital signs. So I would check your blood pressure and your temperature, make sure you don't have a fever, your pulse, you know, make sure your breathing's okay. And I would listen to you. And then, yeah, we would go over your health history. So at the hospital that I work at, there's only a handful of prenatal clinics that we house prenatal records. It's not like we're having to go like search around to like a random prenatal clinic that you've been at and we're trying to trying to, you know, get your prenatal prenatal records from from somewhere. We usually have them on file, so it's pretty easy. But that might be like a question that that you're asked or if you're like from out of town or something, we say, you know, what's your where do you go to where do you go to your to get your prenatal care? And so we have to kind of search for your prenatal records. So once we get prenatal records, I'm going to be asking questions like, what is your health history? What are, what kind of due date are they giving you? A lot of this stuff is in your prenatal records. So I'm just kind of like go, like going it, going over it with you and making sure this, this stuff that I have in front of me isn't wrong. (laughs) So yeah, so we're going over health history. I'm asking about medications that you take at home. If you take any medications, any sort of health history that I need to know about, like if you've ever had surgery for XYZ, let's see, you know, what you obviously what i'm going to be asking like what do you do? do do you have any plans for pain control during labor you know do you want to get an epidural do you not want to get an epidural Are you interested in iv pain medication that sort of thing we'll ask about if you've taken any prenatal classes before you know we would want to know that i'm trying to think of like other questions that we ask it's usually like pretty straight oh we want to know like your your vaccinations and i would look at all of your lab values that you got in your prenatal records and make sure everything is checked and you've gotten everything drawn. If there's something missing there, I would say, okay, you know, I noticed like you didn't have a, I don't know, some random test, like a, like a blood, a blood, blood counts we get on everybody when they're admitted. But if you didn't have this one random lab, okay, maybe we'll draw those with admission labs if you get, if you get admitted. But I'm trying to think of anything else before we get into cervical exams. But yeah, no, that's, that's pretty much it. There's usually a database that we have that, you know, it's just buttons that we're checking and questions that we're going over with everybody. And if, if the mom's if the mom's huffing and puffing, it's okay yeah. for the partner to step in and answer yes. those questions too, right? Yes, absolutely. I try to let mom answer questions if she is able to, because I like it to come from you. But yes, absolutely. If your partner is able to answer questions and be helpful, that's that's totally fine. And if you you know, uh, we have a handful of patients at my hospital that uh, don't speak English. They speak Spanish. So we have translate, we have uh, interpreters there 
too. So that's just another another step. If somebody oh, comes in, cool. they don't, yeah, awesome. if they don't speak, yeah, if they don't speak English, we'll get the interpreter in there. We have like a live one that, a live one, a person <laughs> who works <laughs> during the day who helps. And then we also have uh, like a telehealth kind of thing that we can pull in there. It's it And, and that makes the process easier and it makes them f- feel more comfortable uh, as well too. And then once we get kind of through that, I will let the provider know that, okay, you know, this is what's going on. And obviously along with all of these checks, I'm asking like, okay, why are you exactly here today? <laughs> like, is it just labor? Are you just, you know, in labor or did your water break or are you not feeling baby move around or are you having bleeding? There's a whole lot of, or are you having a lot of back pain? So, you know, it's there's a whole lot of reasons why you can come in, not just I'm having contractions. That's the most common, common one. But yeah, then I would let the provider know why this patient is here. And then we would make a decision whether she needs a cervical check. And let's say, you know, you're huffing and puffing, you're in labor or your water's broken and your term, then yeah, we would come in. The provider would say, Hey, you know, seems like you're in labor. Do you mind if I check your cervix and see where you're at? Most people say, yes, uh, I would like that to see if I can get admitted. So we would check your cervix. Usually the provider does that. If it's super busy back in triage and the provider is like just, there's a lot going on, and then we can do the cervical exam and we're proficient in doing that. I can check the patient and say, oh, you're six centimeters. Yep. You're going to go out to the, yep. You're in labor. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's get this process going. So we can do that too. If it's really, really busy. I usually let the provider usually likes to come and see you and do that, but that can also sometimes happen. Or if you come in and your baby's about halfway out of you, then yeah, we don't have anybody check you. We just say, oh, okay, let's go right out to labor and delivery. Or we just, okay, let's have the baby right here in triage. <laughs> so that happens. That happens too. But yeah, I'm trying to think. I think that's pretty much triage. Yeah, we've had we've had babies born in the in the elevator on the way from triage uh-huh. to uh-huh. another floor, and I'm like, oh lord. <laughs> yeah, that happens. Extra that paperwork happens. for the nurse. I feel bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it happens on occasion. We we try not to let that happen, but you know, it, it happens. You, you never know. <laughs> babies yeah. have minds of their own. <laughs> that's so true. So, and with everything that you're saying, like all these things you're checking, and even you know a cervical check, how yeah. often would would you say, from your experience, do women get sent back home? Yeah. So if your water's broken, you're not going to get sent back home. Okay. If you're bleeding a lot, you're not going to get sent back home. If your baby is not moving around and we put you on the monitor and the monitor is not looking so great, you know, baby's looking a little bit sleepy on the monitor, you're not going to go back home right away. We're going to want to watch you for a little while. But if you are contracting and we check you and you're usually like less than four-ish centimeters, everybody, every place is a little bit different and every provider is a little bit different. So, but usually that's like the magic number if you're less than like a four-ish centimeters and you're contracting, we would say, okay, you can, it's two different situations. We say, okay, you can either go back home now, that's fine. Especially if you live close, you can go back home come back in when they're a little bit closer together, you're hurting, you know, your contractions get stronger. Or we say, okay, do you want to hang out for an hour or two? And then we can recheck you and see if you've made any progress. And I would say most people go for that option, but it kind of depends. I mean, if somebody, if I were a patient 
and it were my first baby and I was contracting and I came in and I was one or two centimeters dilated and my provider, and I was trying, let's say I was trying like not to get an epidural. I would probably go back home at this point and then come back when my contractions got a bit stronger. But I would say for just, I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, but I would say most of the time, if you're a first time mom, those are the moms that are getting sent home more just because you don't know, you have nothing to compare it to. You know, we have a fair amount of moms come in and that situation happens where we check them and they're one to three centimeters dilated and we say, okay, you can hang out for a little bit. You know, you might still kind of be in early labor, so it might be hours before we get to that four or five centimeter mark, but we're willing to hang out for an hour or two and see if, you know, you're almost there and then we can admit you after that point. But yeah, I would say it happens half the time that we, you know, you get checked and you're not quite at that four centimeter mark. And then you walk around for a little bit and they kind of peter out. They kind of, you know, it's kind of more of just early labor, not really things, things are getting going. And then you would go back home. And that is, you know, defeating for a lot of women, but it's just, just, that's one thing that one of the questions you're going to ask me later of like, what do you, what do I wish that people knew about labor is that it it can take a very, very long time. And that's a very, very within the realm of normal (laughs) for it to take a very, very very long time, especially if it's your first one. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and that leads me to my next question, which you, which you answered, but I want to touch on it again. So what is, what is it that women need to be to get moved to L and D an L and D room, a labor and delivery room? So you said over four centimeters, their rupture of membranes, their water's broken, that they're if they're bleeding profusely or if babies, you know, not moving regularly. Not is there anything else that, you know, you they would then get moved to the next room? So if, or if you're, say you're preterm and you're having preterm labor in a, so if you are preterm and you come in and you're not dilated at all, and we put you on the monitor and you're having painful contractions, we're probably going to admit you at least for a little bit just to see what's going on. It, it depends on the provider though. Um, but yeah, I would say that is another situation if you're in preterm labor or if we check your vital signs and your blood pressure is really, really high or some other vital sign is off, we, you know, we check we check something and you're just, you know, your pulse is like really, really high or you're, you have a really, really high fever and we can't get it down, then we would admit you for those reasons. But blood pressure is a big one. So if we, if you come in, especially if you're near term and we, and you come in and your blood pressure is sky high and you're having other symptoms of preeclampsia, like you can't see straight, your, you know, your vision is blurry, you have a really bad headache, we're definitely going to admit you regardless of if you're in labor or not, just to, just to check on that. Because pre- preeclampsia can certainly be, be dangerous. So we want to definitely keep an eye on that. But yeah, certain dilation, you want to be, you know, usually about the four centimeter mark and you're having contractions with that too, just because you're four centimeters doesn't mean that you will 100% get admitted. So if you come in and let's say you've had a baby before and you're four-ish centimeters, but you're not having any contractions and you're 
cervix is like not what, I, what we call like a labory cervix. Like it's still kind of thick, but it's technically four centimeters. Your provider might say, you're not really, it doesn't really seem like you're in labor. It's definitely normal for if you've had a baby before for your cervix to be like a three, four centimeter uh, dilation for weeks you know, days or weeks before you actually go into labor. So we want, so really like the key is if you're contracting hard and you're having, contra- you know, painful contractions. But yeah, that rupture of membranes, if your water is broken, regardless of if you are preterm or your term, we're going to keep you if your water's broken. And then, yeah, any, any sort of issue with baby, if we put you on the monitor and baby's not looking so hot on the monitor, we want to keep a close eye on that and do ultrasounds and figure out what's going on. Baby's not moving. Yeah. I think that, I think we covered it all. Yeah, you did. That's great. This is perfect. Okay. So we went through like a typical, you know, laboring mom, but what about women that are coming in for inductions or a scheduled C-section? What can they expect, you know, with their arrival and check-in process? Does that process look similar or is it totally different? Yeah. So it does look similar, but it's just a little bit more relaxed. (laughs) So, cause you're not in, you're usually not in pain when you come in for your induction or if you're having a scheduled C-section, usually just, you know, you're excited to have your baby. You're coming in like, woohoo, today's, today's the day I'm having my baby. So, but we're going over definitely all of the same screening questions. We're asking you about your health history, looking over your prenatal records, getting you on the monitor, doing a cervical check with C-section moms. We don't, but doing a cervical check for inductions. Yeah, we would do a cervical check and it, it kind of depends on what, what your cervix is, you know, then what they're going to proceed with their induction. Like if they check you and your cervix is already like three centimeters, two or three centimeters and like super thin, they might say, Oh, okay, let's not even do any sort of prep for your cervix. Let's just go ahead and give you IV Pitocin to get your contract to get your uterus contracting. But if you come in for your induction and your cervix is not like ripe, <laughs> like uh, it's still pretty thick long and, and it's still yep. <laughs> long and firm, right? I saw actually, a t- I think it was a TikTok the other day of somebody explaining inductions and your cervix and they, they, they explained it by like the ripeness of a banana. So, and I thought that was so cool. So like, so like think about a banana that hasn't been, this is like total side note, but we're talking about induction. So I feel like, (laughs) I feel like it's relevant. So think about a banana. Yeah. So think about like a green banana and then think about a banana that's like fairly ripe. And then think about like a brown banana, which one is the easiest to peel? The brown banana is like it just kind of falls apart. The green banana is like really, really hard to peel. You really have to work at it to peel it. The yellow banana is kind of easy, but it takes, you know, you still have to kind of peel it. So that's how like your cer- you should look at your cervix. If it's like a long and thick, hard cervix, like that green banana, you're we're going to probably have to do some more interventions to get you into labor. If you have like a brown banana cervix and it's super open and super thin, probably just going to need a little, little spit of Pitocin and you're going to spit your baby out. So that's my new thing. I saw that on TikTok and I was like, this is awesome. I'm going to start telling people about this because I love that analogy. So yeah, for inductions, yeah, same, same process, but we're automatically going to say, okay, we'll, you know, go ahead and put your IV in and draw some labs on you. C-section, same thing. Okay. We're going to 
draw, we're going to put an IV in you and draw some labs and do what we need to do for C-section, C-section prep with your, you know, wiping your belly down and shaving you if need to be, if you need to be shaved at all. Um, there's just a handful of things that you, that, that you do to get ready for C-section patients. It's a few extra people have to see you from anesthesia. You have to sign a couple extra forms. But yeah, it's fairly, fairly sim- similar. I will say with C-section, with scheduled C-sections, they do want you to get there pretty early before your actual scheduled C-section. So if you are, uh, let's see, your let's say your case is at eight o'clock in the morning. We usually like our C-section moms to actually get to the hospital about five thirty, six o'clock because it can take a long time for this like check-in process to happen. Uh, specifically this one lab that we have to send down, which is called a type and screen. And that can take like a dang hour to come back. So sometimes this will happen. We'll have a, C- a mom come in and she doesn't have the best veins in the world. And it takes a couple of us to get to draw some blood on her, start an IV. We send the lab down. The lab says, oh, this is a bad sample. We need, a, we need another one. And then we have to do it all over again. And it's like, oh, <laughs> right. it just delays the process. So that's a big reason. But that's really helpful for us to know, you know, because when you're a mom, you're just like, oh, I'm here and I'm just sitting and waiting, but you're not really understanding the whole process of what's going on behind. So that's helpful. Yeah. It's that dang lab, man. That's usually what we're, (laughs) that's usually what we're waiting on is those labs take a long time. There's like this little spinner that they have to put labs in and it takes a long time to spin and then somebody has to take it out and to end do the whole nine yards. I've never worked in a lab, so I don't know the actual specifics of what run what goes down down there. But I know I'm calling them all the time, like, hey, lab, what are you guys <laughs> doing down there? Why am I down, my, why my lab's taking so long? <laughs> so yeah, so that is a big reason why people are waiting, is we're just waiting for these darn labs to come back. And then, yeah, I mean, we with C-sections, we have to make sure that everybody's in the same everybody's in the right place at the right time. Anesthesia is available. There's not other cases going on on the floor that's going to interrupt yours. Because with a, C- with a scheduled C-section, we want you to go at your time. We're trying to get everything going so you go at your at your scheduled time. But sometimes it so happens that there's somebody else on the floor who's a little bit more urgent than our scheduled C-section. So we have to make sure that our anesthesia team is available for you, for your scheduled you know, case, they're not in this emergency section. So that's all there. That's another reason why sometimes things get delayed. So yeah, but I would say it's just the check-in is generally the same as like somebody who's coming in for labor. But usually you don't, if you're an induction or you're a C-section, if there is like a triage kind of area, you're usually just going directly to your room where you're going to live. You're usually not going through that like triage kind of area. So that's, that's just another difference. Okay, great. Okay. So Liesl, now I want to know, so I have, as a doula, I've walked into a lot of labor and delivery rooms and triage rooms. And when the nurse comes in, I'm always like, please be a nice nurse. Like, <laughs> please be nice to me, please. You know, and, and I'm always curious, you know, what nurses are thinking. So what are nurses thinking when they first meet their new patient? Because I can tell some of them are like, this is how I do things. I've been doing this for 30 years, blah, blah, blah. Some nurses are just like, 
like you, super warm and welcoming. <laughs> and so, you know, you just get the whole gamut. But I'm curious, what goes through your mind? Because I'm thinking, please, let's just all be on the same team yeah. and like work together. But I want to know what's going through the nurse's mind at that point. Yeah, yeah. So I would say, yeah, I try. I'm thinking like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to assess the situation, what's going on with this patient and try to make her as comfortable as possible. So, you know, if she's hard in labor and needs like super support on her back with counter pressure right away when I come in, we're going to be immediately doing that. If she just got here and she has a whole bunch of questions and, you know, she's interviewing me about like what's going to be happening, then I'm going to be doing <laughs> that with her. Yeah. If she's, you know, it, that's what I'm usually like immediately thinking when I'm coming, when I'm entering the room of like, okay, what is the most needed like pressing matter right now? And I'm going to do it. But yeah, I would say I like just my practice is I try to read my patients and mimic like how it's kind of hard to explain, but I try to mimic like what they need. So like I'll have a patient who is in hard, hard labor and they're, you know, scream, they, they're screaming, they need direction. And like that kind of patient, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get in your face where it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this together. I have other patients who come in and they're crying, they need emotional support, they respond a lot differently. So they're needing like different kind of support. So I'm like, you know, petting their head, like, get, you know, like getting a yeah. getting a washcloth, like putting a washcloth here. Here's a puke bag if you need a you know, it's it, you kind of have to read the room. Read the room. Yeah. yeah. That's a huge like unwritten rule, I would say, of nurse, nursing in general is like you have to be able to read the room and change your style accordingly. And I think a lot of nurses actually struggle with that. And that's why sometimes you'll hear someone say, oh, I had a nurse and she was just like not the best nurse. Like she just was, you know, just she ha- she she knew her style and that's the only way that the she knew how to that do nursing right. Right. right that's the only way or i mean i've also seen nurses where maybe they had a really tough patient right before and then not bringing that experience into the next room is can that be can that be part of it too oh yeah totally or if you're just having a bad day maybe yeah. you had maybe you had you know so you got some bad news and you had to come into work and you know that happens from time time yeah, and time you're again human. yeah it's, exactly exactly now we try i mean i you know we try not to not to let that happen and to kind of leave everything at the door but yeah that certainly happens or i mean yeah i mean i can definitely count on not not that it's happened to me but like other nurses that i work with yeah it can really really affect your day if you have something personally going on not that we're going to you talk know, about it, but it affects like it, your, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I get that. That makes sense. I, cause I was just like, man, they see so many people back to back to back, like, you know, but that's really cool to hear that most of the time you're just trying to see, you're reading the room, seeing what the patient needs and kind of mimicking like their, what they need their Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. So can you walk us through, now that we know like the check-in process, just real quickly, like a typical, I would say then like a vaginal birth, like what 
women can expect? Like when you get into labor and delivery, like routine checks or, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So if you come in and you're a vaginal delivery, I come in at 7 a.m. and I start taking care of you, I would say, okay, you know, what's going on right now? Do, does she need a cervical check right now? Is the provider coming around? They're going to check her. No. Okay. We're not going to do that. It, you know, is she huffing and puffing? She wants an epidural. Okay. Let's get this going. Let's get her an epidural and then, you know, get, get that. So she's comfortable. Does she need IV? pain medication? Is she, you know, does she just need labor support? So yeah, I mean, really like the bulk of what I'm doing is the labor part (laughs) and getting mom through labor, however, which way she pleases. So whether that's getting an epidural or doing IV pain medication or doing nit- we don't do nitrous oxide as much anymore with covid stuff but you know get, helping her with nitrous oxide or if she's trying to go unmedicated we're doing a lot of labor support uh, with her partner or if she's got a doula with her so yeah so we're doing labor support until she gets to where she's 10 centimeters and baby's right you know she's ready to start pushing and then typically we as labor and delivery nurses would push with mom until she gets to a certain point. And for every, everyone's going to be a little bit different how long that takes. So usually what I tell first-time moms is expect it to be a while, okay? Don't expect to push your baby out in the first push, although it certainly can happen that way. It has happened in the past, but expect you to be pushing for, you know, sometimes a couple hours. That's that's well within the realm of normal, especially if you got an epidural. It takes takes a little bit of, uh, there's a learning curve with pushing with an epidural. So yeah, we get to the pushing point and I'm starting to push with my patient. Sometimes it's only a couple pushes. Maybe she's going unmedicated and it's her third baby and ooh, I don't have to do much work at all with pushing with her. <laughs> I call the provider, the provider comes in and usually we have a, d- a delivery table set up for her. And that just is some instruments that might be used like the umbilical clamps and the scissors, other random tools that they might use, but they usually don't. What I tell patients is like when I'm setting up that delivery tray, it looks really, really scary because it's all these metal instruments. And I'm like, typically the only stuff they're really going to use that you're going to see is these umbilical clamps and the the scissors to cut the cord. Everything else you might need, you might need this suit, you know, these, the scissors to help. If you have a tear, they might need these sutures, but this is really like like the only thing that you absolutely, you know, you need if you're, if you're cutting the umbilical cord. And then there's, you know, other random tools if they if they need them. And then there's, you know, a bunch of like uh, towels up there if they need towels. It's just a whole big, big tray of stuff. So yeah, so your delivery tra- table set up. And then, yeah, I would push with mom for a while and provider would come in. They usually put on like a gown and get some get some stuff underneath you. The reason actually why they do that, it's like a drape kind of thing that they that they try to put on under all patients unless it's like really immediate delivery. They try to do that just so we can see how, estimate how much blood you've lost. So there's that drape that they put underneath you. It's like, it's usually like a blue drape. They put underneath you, has like a little catcher in the bottom and it catches all the fluid and the blood that comes out. And so then after you have your baby, we look and there's like little numbers on the bottom that say, oh, oh, you lost, you uh, approximately, you know, lost about this amount of blood. Just so we 
do all of our checks and balances. So that's one thing that is really important um, that at least they do at my hospital is estimated blood loss. So we're, we're looking and seeing, okay, how much have you initially lost and what do you look like? You know, do, are, is your pulse starting to get really, really high? Is your blood pressure, you know, going a little bit down? Are you feeling kind of dizzy? How much have you bled? Oh, are we? Is this happening because of your blood loss, or is it like some other reason? Or have you not lost a lot of blood, and there's like a whole lot of like a huge blood clot sitting inside of you that like needs to come out? So yeah, I got on a tangent, but yeah, provider would come on, come in, and put that drape underneath you, and then yeah, we just push a little bit longer and have a baby. And there's usually, I think. Are we in the question of like how many people are in yeah, the room? Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, that's, that's yeah. I think one of the things that people are most surprised by yeah. because during labor, it's just their nurse and, you know, their their partner and maybe a doula uh, or whoever they ha- are allowed to have in the room now due to COVID, it's different. But, but yeah. And then all of a sudden when a baby's about to come out, they're like, holy crap, it's a party. There's in a lot here. of people. Yeah. <laughs> and who are all of you people? What are you doing? What do you want? So yeah. Can you tell us who all those people are? Yeah. So it's going to be, so if I'm your primary nurse, if I've been with you the whole time, I'm going to stay with you. And then usually my charge nurse comes in to help with charting or to help if an emergency arises. I always like to have at least another RN in there for that reason. And then usually the doctor comes in too. If you, you you know, your doctor or your midwife provider comes in. And then also there's usually at least one, possibly two nurses for baby. So we, again, it's going to depend on where you deliver. Some places still like they do their deliveries. So I would be the primary nurse taking care of mom and taking care of baby. So there's not like an extra, just a baby nurse in there. But usually we've found that it's much safer if, if you have the staffing available to do it that way, to have like an extra person in there just in charge of baby. If baby needs any sort of resuscitation afterwards, just, you know, checking APGARs and all of that good stuff. So yeah, so there's usually another nurse in there to do that. If for some reason you come in and your baby is not looking so hot on the monitor, or let's say you have meconium in your fluid, uh, it's, you know, you have this really green fluid, which can be totally normal and benign. But sometimes if you have meconium, which is a side note, meconium is when it's baby's first poop. So sometimes before babies come out of you, they poop inside you. And that's, that can be normal. And like I said, benign and, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with that. But sometimes it can cause some issues after baby's born, especially if they aspirate it, they breathe that in. Um, so if that's the case, at least the hospital that I work at, what they like to do is if mom has meconium stained fluid, if it's green, they say, okay, let's get our pediatric team in here as well. So that's like two or three extra people, like an art, like a respiratory therapist, an extra like NICU nurse. And then sometimes like a nurse practitioner comes in as well, just to make sure like everybody's, you know, we want to be like over-prepared. That's, that's really the main reason why like there's all these extra people in here because like we're trying to be over-prepared. We don't ever want to be under-prepared for like an emergency happening because emergency, oh, obstetric emergencies happen 
very, very fast. And we have to intervene very, very quickly. So that's why there's all these extra people. And then the last person that might be in there is like a tech or a nursing assistant that's in there helping the provider if they need something from the delivery the delivery table, or if uh, mom needs a help holding like a leg or something, there's just like an assistant in there as well. So I think that's everybody. Yeah, if you deliver at, yeah, it's a party. <laughs> if you deliver at a teaching hospital too, and you allow residents to come in, there might be extra like providers in there too. If that's okay with you, obviously you always have that consent to, to have those people in there, but there might be residents. So there might be like three providers in there. And if you're working on a day shift and your nurse has like a nursing student shadow, there might be a nursing student in there. There just, there could be 15 people in there some yeah. days. Yeah. So yeah, it can be, I try to communicate that with my patients too, that especially if you're the kind of person that like gets really anxious and overwhelmed, I really try to communicate that with people like, Hey, when I call for delivery, there's going to, there's, there's probably going to be like this person and this person and this, this person. Don't worry. Nothing crazy is going to happen. We're just trying to be overly prepared, but just so you know, there are like, <laughs> it's going to be a little party coming in. Right. Well, but I appreciate that because I know some nurses don't say that. And then my clients are like, oh my gosh, why are there so many people? Is everything okay? Yeah. So that's, it's good to walk through all of that. And I do want to say that it sounds like you get to stay with your one patient until they deliver. Is that true? That's true. Yeah. So t- it kind of depends. Like I said, this is going to be the answer to a lot of the questions. It depends on what place you are because every place <laughs> right. is different, but at least the hospital that I work at, yeah, that's kind of how we do patient care is I stay with my patient through her delivery. And then for about two hours after she delivers, she's still with me on labor and delivery. And then we, I work at a bigger hospital. So once that two hours is up, I then transfer her over to a postpartum unit and then she, and then she and I, part ways. But there are other hospitals that they they have what's called LDRP units, so labor and delivery, recovery, postpartum. So in that sense, your nurse who took care of you during labor and did your delivery might still be your postpartum nurse as well. So and she, you know, you you might just have the same same person the whole day. But that's if it's a bigger hospital, that's usually going to be the process where I stay with them for their delivery and then two hours. And we like to do that. Like that's a common question that I get in terms of like, why do I have to stay over here for two hours with my labor and delivery nurse? Like, why can't I just go immediately to postpartum? So in the first couple hours after you have a baby, you're at the higher highest risk of having a postpartum hemorrhage. And we are one-to-one care. Typically, we're one-to-one care. So we can assess you every few minutes if we need to. A postpartum nurse usually has three or four patients. So if something's happening, she's, you know, it's not going to, it might not be caught as quickly. So that's why they like to have us stay with them because we can just like closely monitor them for two hours if you're going to start bleeding. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, I know some hospitals that I've attended where, I guess they're smaller hospitals. So a a labor and delivery nurse is maybe working with three different patients at the same time. So they're not going to have, I hate to say like the luxury, but yeah, the luxury of someone being in the room the whole time because they also have to go and chart their other patients. So, but that's awesome that your, your mamas get to have you the whole time. That's so good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
so Lisa, what do you wish expecting mothers knew or prepared for before they entered the hospital in labor? Yeah. So I think I said it before, but one of my biggest tips is if you, especially if you're a first time mom, expect it, don't expect it, but you know, keep in the back of your mind that it might be a much longer process than you thought. So that is a huge thing that I see, especially first time moms come in and they say, when's the baby going to be born? Am I going to, you know, in a couple out, you know, am I going to have a baby by the afternoon? They come in the morning. It's like, well, you might, maybe, (laughs) maybe, yeah, you might go really quick, but in all likelihood, it's probably going to be a little bit from now. So I always, I stress that in my courses that like expect it to be a really, really long haul. And then if you end up having a quicker delivery, a quicker birth, then like, great, awesome. You know, no, no big deal. Awesome. But you know, if you're expecting it to go really quick and then it's like a really, really long time that you're there, you can get defeated really easily. So yeah, so that's one of my biggest tips that I say, expect the process to take a long time, especially if it's your first one. You've never had a baby, a object that big come out of your vagina. (laughs) So there's a process that has to take place and it can take a long time for a baby to come out. So that's what I, that's what, that's my number one. And then I would also just say generally, I, I, I wish that expecting moms knew or to prepare just in, in terms of like taking birth courses, education, doing a little bit more pain control prep if they're planning on getting and planning on not getting an epidural planning on going unmedicated i would say there are like I, like i said there's definitely cases where it goes really fast and this mom came in she didn't take any sort of birth classes or do any sort of education about her unmedicated birth and she totally rocked it and she listened to her body and like everything went great but the majority of the time if i have a patient who comes in and she wants to go unmedicated and she hasn't done any research on it or she hasn't done, you know, taken any any classes or done any reading. It totally just like hits her in the face of like, what the heck is going on? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it, you know, and that's when we talk about people having trauma from their birth because they just weren't expecting XYZ to happen. So that's why I stress education. My biggest thing is I'm trying to educate people on as much as possible before they come and have their baby. So we have the least amount of traumatic births possible. And I've seen even in, you know, traumatic birth can be a range of different situations that happen. Like somebody could have something traumatic happen to them that another person would not call traumatic and vice versa. But I think if we educate, I think somebody who's educated on the process is going to have a less likelihood of having trauma happen. Still certainly can happen, but that's my whole thing is that I think if we're educated, we can ultimately have less traumatic birth happen because traumatic birth is not fun and I've seen it happen. And it just, it stays with you for, you know, sometimes your whole life. And so we want to, we're trying to prevent that if at all possible. Yeah. No, I love that. I totally agree with, with your two tips on, on expecting it to be a while and educate yourself as much as possible. So I love that. So, and what do you wish that the laboring mother and the partner knew about your role as a nurse? So I would say... To that one, 
sometimes I will have patients come in and they think my, my answer is just that I want them to know that I'm on their side. Like we're not, I'm not trying to say certain interventions or say certain things like not in your best interest. Like I'm trying to advocate for you as much as humanly possible. Like if you want this sort of, you know, this sort of situation happen in your birth, like I'm going to try and make that happen to the best of my ability. But if this sort of situation happens, like, okay, this might not, might not, you know, meet your birth plan. So that I guess is, I, I know I didn't really make too much sense there, but I would say that's probably my answer of like, my biggest role with you is like advocating for you. Yeah. You're on their side. You're not against yes, them. Absolutely. Love that. Okay. So Liesl, any final thoughts or words of advice for our moms before we sign off? So I would say I'm going to, this is what I say at the end of uh, of all podcasts that I'm on, <laughs> is educate yourself. And we've already talked about this. But yeah, if you are pregnant, if you are thinking about getting pregnant, or if you are newly postpartum, yeah, educate yourself. It's never going to hurt to read that extra book or watch that extra video or follow that extra account, typically, usually. The more that you can engulf yourself in the world of birth, it typically the better your experience is going to be. So yeah, educate yourself. That's my whole spiel. That's what we do on that Mommy Labor Nurse. <laughs> Love it. Amen. And so, yes, now tell us, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, so I am over at mommylabornurse.com. I do, like I said, have a not a I guess it's not a new podcast anymore. We have about 60 episodes. But yeah, I have my podcast. <laughs> yeah, I have my podcast also where we go into deeper topics, have cool people come on that talk about various things. And then we also do birth stories on there, which is pretty cool. And I do Q and A's. So my podcast is the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. You can just search it on Apple or Android or on my website. The all the all the episodes are on my website at mommylabornurse.com. So we have blog, blog articles over there. And then probably the place where I'm most active is my Instagram, which is I'm at mommy.labornurse on there and always doing crazy stuff over there. So love it. <laughs> so yeah, that's me. Yay. Oh my gosh. This was so helpful, Liesl. It's yeah. great to be able to get, like I said, that peek behind the curtain and really understand the labor and delivery process from a nurse's perspective. So thank you again for answering our questions and chatting with us today. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you so much. Of course. And for our listeners out there, to learn more about Liesl Teen, visit her, as she said, on Instagram at mommy.labornurse, as well as her website, www.mommylabornurse.com, where you can find her podcast, her classes, all the good stuff. So our team will be posting today's episode on our Baby Chick Facebook page. So if you have any questions about labor and delivery or have stories of your own, please share them with us in the comments. And as always, if you have already, please subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave an honest review. Thank you for tuning in and cheers to more empowered birthing.